You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, NCC. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Micah. I'm the worship pastor here at the North Canton Chapel. And as always, to our family, welcome to our guests. Welcome as well. We're glad that you are here this morning. And for those of you joining online, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Today we are in week two of a series entitled Solid Ground, where we're examining what it means how to build the houses of our lives on the truth of Scripture and the person of Jesus. And so as we've been walking through that, I want to give us a little bit of an episode recap, if you will. If you missed last week or if you uh, have not watched online yet, it's important to have some context to know what we did last week so we can know where we are going this week. And one of the things that we learned is that the foundation that we build on matters. The foundation that we build on matters. We talked about how we can build the houses of our lives on all kinds of things. We can build it on our friendships, on our political leanings, or our job securities. We can build them on family members or our financial stability. But ultimately, while some of those things may be good, they will all fail, whether they mean to or not. Because they were never created to bear the weight of our hearts and of our lives. The solid ground that we speak of is, again, the truth of Scripture and the person of Jesus. And so we talked about when we try to build the houses of our lives on anything other than Jesus, it's kind of like putting a fresh coat of paint on rotted wood. It's like having this brand new immaculate house that is deeply infested with termites. When we build on anything other than Jesus, it doesn't do us any good. And we said this together last week. If you'd read this out loud with me. Everything we build the houses of our hearts on, apart from the truth of Scripture, and the person of Jesus Christ will fail us. If, again, if we get nothing from this series, this is the core truth we need to walk away with. If you, like, check out, start thinking about lunch already, like, anything else beyond this point, this is the one thing. If you miss everything else, grab this. Everything that we build, the houses of our hearts on, apart from the truth of Scripture and the person of Jesus Christ will fail us. Jesus and Jesus alone is our solid ground. And the care for and the spiritual development of our households is crucial as we, here as a local body in NCC, as we seek to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. And because this is such a crucial thing, the care of and the spiritual development of our individual houses, because this is so important, it is often the place that experiences the most spiritual warfare. It is often the place that is most susceptible to our own depravity. What do we mean by that? Isn't it true that in our own homes, with our own families, our sin rises to the surface nowhere more keenly and more acutely? Isn't that true? Why is that? Why is it that we can come into a space like this and we feel like we feel good, we've got all the boxes checked, we're working toward our sanctification, like we're doing all this stuff, trying to seek after Jesus. It can look great on a Sunday morning, but the moment we step in the door, 
seems like all of a sudden things get harder, doesn't it? Our guards get let down, and I think who we truly are at our core is revealed. A side note, and this bears repeating. So last week I mentioned, and it's really, really important. You're going to hear me say things like family. You're going to hear me say things like household, family worship, at-home worship rhythms. And whenever I speak of household, the example I gave last week is that that may for you look like husband, wife, two and a half kids, and a dog named Spot. If that does not look like your home, if your home is one that is made up of empty nesters, these rhythms are still for you. If your home is, you've got like six crumb snatchers or ankle biters or whatever you want to call them, or like running around all the time, these rhythms are for you. If you are single at any stage in life and it is just you in your household, these rhythms, the things that we are talking about are for you, okay? So you're going to hear me say things like family and sometimes we kind of check out when we hear that if that doesn't necessarily apply to our individual household. But to use John or J.W. Alexander, he wrote a book called Thoughts on Family Worship. And the way that he describes household is quite simply this. It is any and all persons living under the same roof. Any and all persons living under the same roof. And so if that is your household, whatever number that is, you are included in these rhythms. Now, when we do this, when we try to build on the solid ground of Scripture and the person of Jesus, it changes our thinking, doesn't it? When we take these things and we implement them daily and weekly, it begins to change how we view the world. We begin to think beyond our own existence into the legacy that we will leave behind. And this is important, isn't it? Because the question that you and I all have to ask ourselves is this is how you are living your life now, paving a way for a remembrance that you would be proud of. Is how you were living your life now paving the way for a remembrance that you would be proud of. How you carry and institute the truths of God's word and the love of Jesus into those in your household or in your spheres of influence is the way that you do that. If you were to be gone tomorrow, would they say that your life was built on the solid ground of the truth of Scripture and the person of Jesus? I can't answer that for you. Only you can. It's how we are living our lives, paving a way for a remembrance that we would be proud of. See, leaving a legacy that extends beyond us, to borrow a phrase from Vody Bauckham, is like planting trees that others will sit in the shade of. The way that you live your life now plants trees that others will sit in the shade of. And so as we talk about building on solid ground, incorporating these at-home worship rhythms and things like that, know that this goes far beyond you. I had a great conversation with a dad last week, and he goes, you know, Micah, I want to do this thing where I'm, I'm reading scripture with my kids, but sometimes, I mean, it's like reading scripture with my kids. It's hard. And I said, I get that. He's like, but what if they don't understand everything? I said, that's okay. Because this is the thing, your kids may not remember every single lesson that you ever taught them. They may not remember the fact that you read through all the Gospels in a month or something like that or however that worked. But they will remember that Dad took time to open Scripture and read it with our family. And that was important. And for all of these rhythms, again, for all of us in all of our households, the way that these move our lives draw us closer to Jesus. 
and they recenter our hearts and cause us to look down and go, what am I building on? And so again, as a little bit of recap, the five rhythms that we looked at last week, some of you remember them. It's read, pray, sing, serve, and rest. Read, pray, sing, serve, and rest. Read is simply taking time to read God's word out loud together with members of your household. Pray is praying out loud with and for members of your household. Singing, this is the one where everybody got a little squirrely. Singing is literally listening to music together or singing out loud as part of a focused worship in your home outside of this room, right? Serve is using your time, talent, and treasure that God has blessed you with to bless others. And that's in your community or here at your local body here at NCC. And then rest is where we're going to spend a lot of time today. Rest is setting aside a day of your week for you and your household to rest from work and enjoy the blessings of God. Read, pray, sing, serve, and rest. Now we're going to dive more deeply into these rhythms uh, in an upcoming training course called As For Me and My House. And registration for that is going to end on February 15th. That's a little bit farther ahead than the actual dates. Uh, But it is a hard cutoff because there's some pre-work that we have to do. Uh, As you sign up for that, you'll get a survey and some things you'll walk through so that we can grow together as we enter that that course together. Okay? Uh, So it's 23rd and 26th. You can come with me. and We're going to have a lot of fun. Okay? Uh, So if you're interested in that, please, please do that. But today, we're going to take a specific look at the at-home worship rhythm of rest and what Scripture specifically calls Sabbath rest. And so the question that you may be asking yourself is, so why this one? Like if there's read, pray, sing, serve, rest, like why not do a series and walk through each of these things individually and take all this time? Well, this is the reality, right? I believe that if you are at least interested in the things of God, which I believe you are if you're in this room, then at some level, you understand those first four really well. You know how to read a Bible. You get prayer. You, at least, I think through the idea of singing out loud in your home. You know serving. Like any of us at this point, we could walk away and probably implement those first four pretty easily, right? At some level. But rest is a little elusive. Rest is strange for us, especially in a Western culture. Rest is the one that we, we like the idea, but I would propose that none of us actually do this, me included. None of us actually rest the way that Scripture talks about rest. And then it also seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because we're thinking, well, I thought we were building on a firm foundation. We're building on solid rock. Building takes work. Resting doesn't sound like work. We may find a day that resting takes a little more work than we realize. So again, stating it plainly, we all have trouble with resting. Can any of us honestly say that we take an entire day of every week not to work at all? No checking emails, no answering that work text, no thinking or working on that upcoming project on your day off. A whole day dedicated to focusing on the blessings that God has provided for us. And this is increasingly difficult because in an era when all of us have begun to work more and more remotely, it becomes harder and harder to separate work 
from family and work from rest, doesn't it? It becomes harder to draw those lines. And for many of us in this room, I, would, I believe that it's probably true that when I say something like Sabbath, we mostly, in our Western culture, in our Protestant thinking, we often will just go, well, yeah, for us, that's Sunday. And we, that's what we do. We gather on the Sabbath. We worship God's, God together here on the Lord's Day in his church gathered together, right? Maybe. Let's take a typical Sunday. And for this example, we're going to use a household that's got, let's say, single mom, teenage daughter. And if that's you and your makeup in this room, I didn't know you were going to be here, but here we are. Um, so let's, let's take a typical Sunday for you, okay? So it looks like this. You want to attend the early service early, so you can get home for lunch a little bit earlier. You set your alarm for 7.30. It goes off, and you snooze it until around 8. Your teenager is still asleep takes you about 10 minutes to drag them out of bed, then everybody's got a shower. It's now about 8.40, it takes you 15 minutes to drive to church, but on your way to church, you decide to grab a quick sausage biscuit from Wendy's. While sitting in line, you go, man, I really want that latte from Starbucks. You take 20 minutes in each drive through line because that's the way drive through lines work sometimes. And after you do that, you realize it's about 9.30. And so around 9.30, you go, hmm, I'm a little late for service. Maybe I should change some things around. So you say, I'm going to go get my grocery shopping done before I go to church this morning. You go to Aldi, you fight through what can be crazy at Aldi, and grab your groceries, load up the car, make it back to NCC right around 10.30 when the first service is starting. You send your teenager up the ramp going, I'm praying that they get there, I'm believing in the power of God that they go up the ramp and that they make it to the student center and everything is good. You come in, you sit in the back because you're trying to figure out, like, band is singing, what do I do now? And you wait until they sing, you find a seat, someone comes up to do announcements, but you're just scrolling through notifications. By the time you're done with your notifications, you realize the band is back up and you should probably sing again. You are sitting there singing and realize, wait a minute, I don't know if I turn the crock pot on. Some of you just freaked out because you've got a crock pot set, at least you thought. Service ends, you grab your teenage daughter, you go home, realize Crock-Pot is not on, you have to order pizza for lunch. By the way, there was a fight on the way home, and so now you and your daughter are running the different sides of the house, trying to figure out how do we get enough space from each other so we don't kill each other. And then at that moment, you sit down in exhaustion in your chair, your cell phone begins buzzing, and it's your boss realizing that you are supposed to present a project tomorrow morning. You've not looked at it, you don't know anything about it, and this, is what we try to call Sabbath. Sound familiar? Maybe too close to home? I've had Sundays like that. Anyone else? Yeah. Some of you, it feels like that this morning. We're glad you're here. <laughs> it's okay. If the crock pot's not on, everything will be all right. Life has demands, for sure. We all have schedules and rhythms and things that drive us and move us to step out of seasons of rest. But there are seasons and days that are meant for rest that, by and large, we don't really rest on. Much less do we set aside time to actually focus on the things of God during those days of rest. See, there's something deeply wrong with our culture. We run at a frantic pace where we constantly move from one thing to the next, and our pockets and watches are constantly buzzing with notifications, and even we are nonstop even in our stops. 
If you need a reference for that, just look around the next time you're at a red light and see how many people pull out their phone and do this, like, check my notifications, send the quick text, put it away. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer writes this. An over-busy, hurried life of speed is the new normal in the Western world, and it's toxic. Psychologists tell us that anxiety isn't often the canary in the coal mine. Our soul's way of telling us that something is deeply wrong and we need to fix it. And then he says this. Hurry is a form of violence to the soul. Hurry is a form of violence to the soul. You know, I think the psalmist is trying to get us to understand the similar idea. In Psalms 46, verse 10, he writes, Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. I've recently been doing some devotions out of the Legacy Standard Bible, and it's one that carries some better cultural context as kind of the goal for it, as it takes the things that in early Jewish context they would have seen or read or heard, and it tries to preserve that in our modern language, which is fairly difficult because every Greek word has like a thousand English meanings and vice versa. And so as he, as the, in LSB it says this, cease striving. Some of you, like, we could just hang there today. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So foundation matters. Rest is one of the things that helps us to figure out what foundation we are on. And so today we need to ask this question. What does God have to say about Sabbath rest? Because we can talk all day long about culture and we can look at other people and their books and that type of thing. But ultimately, as Christians, if the Bible is our ultimate standard for living, we should look back to scripture for our answers. Yes? Always. And so today we're going to examine five elements of Sabbath rest that applied to the people of Israel. They applied in the New Testament. They apply for us today. And so if you're able, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. I'm going to read it out of the Legacy Standard, okay? And it's going to be on the screens. And so if you are able, let's stand, and we're going to read this out loud together, okay? Verse 12, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as Yahweh your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you shall not do any work. Skip to verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt And Yahweh your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Thank you for reading. You may be seated. So the first element of Sabbath rest is really clear right there at the beginning in verse 12. It's that we must observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's not enough to just know about the Sabbath. 
It's not enough to go, hey, I have this idea that there's this some type of scriptural and biblical rest that is different than normal rest that is just elusive and out here. It says to observe, to do something with this. Observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, Sabbath is this Hebrew word, sabbat. And it refers specifically to this time of rest on the seventh day of the week. Now, for the early Jews and for the Israelites, this was observed culturally from Friday evening until Saturday evening. Okay, so Friday sundown until Saturday sundown. And Sabbath, as a sign and practice, this was introduced and explained to the people of Israel in great detail in Exodus 31, 12 through 17. And it's at the end of a passage describing the function of the tabernacle and the priestly functions within it. And here's what it says in Exodus 31, 13. Yahweh speaks to Moses and he says this. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Why? For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. That I, the Lord, am the one who guides your life. That I, the Lord, am the one who has sovereign control over your rhythms of life. It is within the observance of Sabbath rest that the Lord, Yahweh, sanctifies his people. And it's one of the ways in which God's people are set apart from other nations. The act of rest rather than work on a full day of the week would have been something people noticed, right? If everyone else around is living in their rhythms one way, they work seven days a week, but there's this one group that they just never work on that day, you start to go, huh, well, if someone's not working on this day, they must be an Israelite. They must be one of God's people. I mean, we have a really silly example of this, but we know it in our culture. Today, there's a lot of fast food restaurants open, but there's one that's not. Which is it? Chick-fil-A. Now, isn't it interesting that we know Chick-fil-A for what they don't do rather than what they do? We know that today, we all really want a nice, hot chicken sandwich. I'm not making this easy for you, am I? Um, But we, we know that they're not open today. And so, in the act of them not working, we draw attention to their values, to the things that they hold as a company. Similarly, for the people of Israel, and I believe it can be for us, the way that they allowed God to shape their rhythms of life helped other people to know who God was to them, that he was Lord. Look again, Deuteronomy verse 13. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you shall not do any work. This is our second element of Sabbath. In a standard seven-day week, there's six days to do all the work and one day of no work. Okay? This is fairly straightforward. We get this. Six days of all the work, one day of no work. And let's just be clear. This was difficult for the Israelites then, and it's difficult for us now. Because we all have tiny buzzing Sabbath destroyers in our pockets all the time. Right? We live in a culture, and if we're honest, we perpetuate a culture that says that we need everything with immediacy and urgency. We need it right now, always. We get mad if the internet buffers for like two seconds and our show doesn't just pop up right away. Right? We're going, what's wrong? I got to call the cable company. What's, what's going on? It's two seconds. Breathe. It's okay. 
but we do this to ourselves. And everything that we experience, it's always now, 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 now. There was a, a recent video, or not recent, but there was a video study that came out where an individual uh, was walking through this idea of Sabbath rest and silence and just sitting, like practicing Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. And all it opens with is that scripture, be still and know that I am God, and then the screen goes black. And it stays black for about five minutes. There's no prompting to it, no saying, hey, the screen is gonna go black, just sit in silence. They had to change the length of time in the study because people kept sending it back thinking it was broken. They didn't get through the five minutes of silence. They made it a minute and a half in and thought, man, there's something wrong with my DVD, I gotta send it back. And so they close it up, ship it back, and off it goes. We have problems with silence. We have problems with rest. We're not used to it. We are out of rhythm with it. And when we take six days to do all of our work and one day for no work, what we do is we allow the sovereign God to show us rhythms for life that are helpful and good. And we fall into his rhythm rather than trying to fit him into ours. Next, look at Deuteronomy 5.15. He says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. See, when we practice Sabbath, Sabbath rest should draw our hearts back to focus on who God is and what he has done. And so the third key element is that just like Israel, in our rest we should remember our slavery to sin. In the same way that Israel remembered their slavery in Egypt, you and I, this side of the New Testament, we live remembering our slavery to sin, and we worship God as our deliverer. And that's what we did this morning in baptism when Maddie was baptized. That's what we were doing. We're saying at one point, Maddie was a slave to sin. She was dead in her sin and could do nothing about it but God. But God, who is rich in mercy and who loved Maddie very much, sent Jesus to die on the cross for her, and he rose from the dead so that we can sit here this morning and celebrate. So baptism is one of the ways that we remember our slavery to sin and we worship God as our deliverer. And so for us, church, we need to remember the joy of our salvation. Maybe, it's, maybe there was that moment for you and it's been a while. Don't forget the joy. Don't forget the cost of the grace that you experience and walk in. Remember your slavery to sin and worship God as your deliverer. And then continuing, moving from Deuteronomy, we're going to go to Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. And here in this creation narrative, we see this fourth element of Sabbath rest because in these first three, in the first, yeah, first three, God is telling Israel, hey, here are some things that you can do. But more than just telling you, here are some things that you can do to remember what I, who I am and what I've done, let me look back and show you that I'm going to set the example for you in this. The fourth element is that God rested and so should we. God rested and so should we. On the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. 
and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because on it he rested from all his work which God had created in making it. A few notes here from Genesis 2. We see before God rested, he finished all his work. He didn't leave something undone. He didn't go, ah, I'll go back to like day five later. I'll pick that up after I rest. No. He finishes all his work. And so for you and I, as we move into these practices of trying to figure out how do I observe Sabbath, it's going to take us a little bit of work because we need to be faithful stewards of the time that God has given us in order to complete the things that God has entrusted to us before we rest from the work in the same way that God has. Let me just get into this practically. A lot of us know this, this tension. If you're getting ready to go on a trip or a vacation with your family, okay, you're going to go out of town for a couple days to rest. Maybe. What does that week moving up to that week look like for you? I know what it looks like for me. It's terrible. It's like the worst week ever, almost every time. Why? Because I'm working harder. I'm trying to make sure that I've got all the I's dotted and T's crossed. I've got everybody, everything they need. So that when I'm gone, they don't call me. Right? We do the same thing. All of you in your different spaces, you've got stuff where you're going, hey, if I'm going away and I'm trying to not think about this, I'm gonna make sure everybody has more than they have ever had before so that they don't even have to think about calling me, right? Now, why do we do this? Why do we work so hard moving into a vacation? It's very simple, we've said it already. So we don't have to work, so that we can rest well. As we practice Sabbath, doing the work ahead of time so that we can follow the example that God sets for us is hard. But let's look at what this word rest really is. So there's two Hebrew words for rest. There's the word that's sabbat, Sabbath, this one day of the week that is set aside by God. And then there's the actual the action of rest the work of rest. And it's this Hebrew word, menuha. Can you guys say that? Menuha. You learned Hebrew today. You're good. And it means resting place or rest. But here's what's interesting about this word. In early Jewish manuscripts, this is often also translated as happiness. Isn't that interesting? That's rest, not just as a like, uh, fine, I don't have to do anything anymore, but it's a rest that's joyful. Again, John Mark Comer in his book, Garden City, he writes this about Manuha. Manuha is not just a nap on the couch. Sorry. That could be part of it. Make me happy. Uh, Manuha is not just a nap on the couch. It is a restfulness that's also a celebration. It's often translated happiness. And to the Jews, Manuha is something you create. It is not that you just stop working and sit on the couch for a day every week. It is about cultivating an environment, an atmosphere to enjoy your life, your world, and your God. It is more of a mode of being rather than a 24-hour time slot. 
I love how he phrases that. It's a mode of being rather than 24-hour time slot. Because if we are careful, if we are not careful, and we become legalistic with Sabbath, it becomes a 24-hour time slot that's a checkbox, and we're going, nope, don't do anything. Ah, don't do anything. No, we're Sabbathing. Stop. That's not very joyful, is it? Does that embody the heart of what this is supposed to be? No. But cultivating Sabbath rest, cultivating these things takes work. Finally, we're going to look in the New Testament at uh, Paul's words in Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. He writes, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I love that. Strive to enter that rest. Hmm. Also, small note, this is a New Testament writer speaking to the New Testament church about a principle that many of us believe is an Old Testament principle. It's for us. This brings us to our final element of Sabbath rest, which is we must strive to enter rest. The word strive is this Greek word, spaudazo, and it has an interesting meaning. It means to be eager, to, uh, to have or show keen interest, intense desire, or impatient expectancy. Now, why would the author of Hebrews use this kind of language, this eager expectancy? Why would he use this when talking about rest? I believe it's because he's trying to get us to ask the question of, of ourselves. Do we long with eager anticipation to be in the presence of God, resting in his blessings that he has given us, or are we more concerned about the next episode of whatever streaming show that you got on whatever service you prefer, or the next game that's coming up? Are we more focused on that? Are we more excited about a next episode than we are about spending time with, in the presence of God? Can I just be honest? I know I have been. Can I admit that? There have been moments when I've been more excited over trivial things, where I have had more expectancy, more just eager, like, I can't wait for something that is failing and that I probably don't even remember anymore than I have spending time with the God of the universe who loves you and gave his life for you. This is why Sabbath rest is such an important building tool for us. Because when we rest, it forces us to pause and look. We go, am I on solid ground? Is my life really built on the things of Jesus, on the truth of Scripture? Or is he just like this thing that I do for 90 minutes on a Sunday? Again, I can't answer that for you. So how do we strive to enter rest? Well, that may mean prepping some meals ahead of time. Very practically. Maybe you put something in the crock pot on Saturday night. So you don't have to worry about it on Sunday. Maybe very practically that looks like turning your phone on do not disturb for a day. 
or not carrying it with you for a day? Some of you just twitched. It's like, no, leave it there. Maybe you write out a plan and you go, hey, you know what? Here's some things that we're going to do in our household on Sabbath. We're going to read scripture together. We're going to pray together. We're going to sing together. Maybe you're going to go and take a walk outside. And as you look around, as the Holy Spirit brings things to your mind to be thankful for, you just share them with your family. Share them with those in your household or with your friends. But if we don't plan these things, if we don't set aside time beforehand to come to this spot, if we don't strive to enter rest, my fear is, church, that we just don't rest. We just don't rest. There's a recent study done where it looked at the life expectancy of Christians versus non-Christians. It's kind of weird, right? It's a strange study. (laughs) But it's said on average Christians live about 11 years longer than non-Christians. It's kind of a weird number. I'm going, what is that? Is that it's interesting because if you dive into that number and you add up the number of Sundays that are within the average lifespan of an individual, there's about 11 years worth of time. Isn't that interesting? Now again, this is like, this is not scripture. This is just study. Okay, this is cool. But I hear that and I go like, man, you've got a people that say we're going to set aside a day roughly 11 years in our lifetime that we're going to set aside dedicated to the worship of and the focus on God. And those are the folks that live around 11 years longer. Interesting. Striving to enter rest presents again this idea of working toward rest. And earlier in the book of Hebrews, Paul writes about those who failed to enter rest. And he says that they failed to enter because ultimately they didn't listen to the commands of God. You may recall last week Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 7, where he said, Everyone who enters these words, sorry, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words and does them, hears and heeds, takes them to heart, allows them to become part of who they are. You know, what would it look like for our households? If our households would set aside time to experience Sabbath rest. And let me just lower the bar for us, okay? Because some of you, you may, like, going into this thought, you might feel a little bit like, dude, you don't know my rhythms, you don't know my world. To try to set aside a whole day, it's impossible, okay? So start with a couple of hours. Set aside three hours on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday evening and say, you know what, as a household we're going to try to practice Sabbath rest. We may not get the whole day yet, but that's okay. We're going to start with three. I think we'd all be better for it. Setting aside time to focus in our households on the person and work of God, eager to make space. Eager. I can't wait. What would it be like in your household if that was the attitude when you read Scripture together? I can't wait. Are we going to read today? So in review, we've learned five things about Sabbath. That we're to observe it. Right? We've got to do it. Keep it holy. That God gave us six days to do all the work and then intends us to not work for one. 
that in our rest we should remember our slavery to sin and worship God as our deliverer, that God rested and so should we, and then we must strive to enter rest. Church, Jesus knows that we need rest. And he knew that he is the only way to have true rest. There's a famous passage in Matthew 11 where it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. It's one of our favorite passages, right? Like, yeah, i got to come to Jesus and I need rest. I love how Eugene Peterson, he, he wrote the message paraphrase. I love how that passage reads in this paraphrase. Let's look at this together. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? And then Jesus' words, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. What a phrase. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I love this line. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Come to me and recover your life. Friends, you and I, we all carry this heavy burden of sin. All of us. It's heavy and it leads to death. It's a thing that causes us to try so hard to focus on all of the wrong things, to try to build our lives on things that don't matter, on things that are trivial. It's a thing that causes us in our hearts and our minds to chase after things that are fleeting. And we look down and realize we've been building on sand instead of rock. And this is the truth. We can never measure up. We can never be good enough. We can never be worthy. But there is one who is. There is one who is worthy. One whose work was and is perfect. And his name is Jesus. And church, his promise is as true for us today as it was when he spoke those words in Matthew 11, that we can come to him weary, burdened, and find real rest. And that real rest comes in repenting of our sin, believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave to save us. And so here's what we're going to do. The band is going to lead us in this song called Turn Your Eyes. And some of it is a familiar hymn that many of us, we've grown up knowing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. But when I think about this practice of Sabbath rest, that's really what this is doing. We are creating space and giving ourselves the opportunity to pause and rest, to physically turn our eyes to Jesus and nothing else. And so as we sing, maybe you need to begin that relationship with Jesus and you just need to pray where you are and say, Jesus, would you be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life? And if you've been following Jesus for a long time and this idea of rest just sounds elusive, or maybe you're going, man, do I need that? 
As we sing, would you take the opportunity to just pray? Say, God, would you cause me and my household? Cause us to turn our eyes to you. Help us to see the things that we need to not do or the things that we need to do in order to make this a priority. Because we want to build on you. Christ and Christ crucified. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.